0: What I found within myself is Godhead. And for people out there who may not believe in God, I, you know, I found the creative source of all things, all life and all creation within me. And I realized making that connection, that was the exact
1: force that I had to call upon to help me in my darkest hour. That was Pop, you can, and my guest this week on the Recover Yourself podcast, where we're talking to people with long-term recovery about recovering to, well beyond recovering from Hi, I'm your host Martin John and yeah, Pop Buchanan is an enthusiastic, exciting man. I am super honored to have him on um, talking to me about his experiences, his podcast and his clothing line and his message, which is sober is dope. Welcome to the Recover Yourself podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to talk to you because you're doing a lot of stuff within the within the recovery field. And how much time do you have offhand?
0: Off six and a half years. So December fifteenth makes
1: seven years. So I'm excited about that. So I have a solid six and a half. That's nice. That's nice. I'm super excited for you. So what are all the things that you're doing? Within your recovery, I know you, you do music, you do clothing, you do like, am I mistaken? Like, No, like...
0: no, you're right on point. So
1: fundamentally, I, I started out,
0: um, a lot of my past has been music related. So I really, sobriety actually gave me my creativity back. And I talk about that a lot in the podcast. But um, I gave up doing music about, I would say, uh, 10 years ago, I gave it up. I just was like, it's not for me. And when I found my sobriety and got into recovery, I realized there was a lot of things that was missing. I was like, something missing. And I think it was my creative side because I put so many years into music. And if I never found my recovery, I wouldn't have been able to find my passion and reconnect with music. But in reconnecting with my music, it was exciting because I had a real voice. I was my authentic self because before, you know, I, I was I'm a lyricist, a poet, lyricist. I do hip hop and stuff like that. And before, you know, I would be drinking, partying, blah, blah, blah. And my music was everywhere, but my sobriety made me hone in on a message of positivity. And I, you know, my music became a new movement and um so yeah so that's one of the things that i was i'm, I'm doing and then i recently launched the Soba is dope podcast
1: which is very exciting thank god um so super exciting I, yeah I, I've, yeah like that's uh, like that that's that's fresh off fresh off the presses as they say it's fresh it? off the
0: press yes and um and that spawned the message because our whole goal is to spread the message that sobriety is cool and dope and and fun and, and hot and the thing is, you know, sometimes I get a little heat from the sober dope, from like I guess a more mature community. You know, one guy was like, "Well, I can't compare my cleansingness or cleanliness, or um, being clean to anything dope related." And I was saying, "Well, look, you know, I this is more for, uh, you know, my generation and the younger generation. That's their little phrase they like to throw around. If something is cool or hot, they say it's dope. So it's my way of, of." Bringing the next generation into the fold of and the, the conversation of sobriety and recovery, um, also you know with my generation and just bridging the gap and trying to have something that's cool and relatable. So that's why we started the clothing to spread the message. So we have the shirts and stuff, and you know I made sure uh, I try not to have a heavy monetization on the sober movement because a lot of People like to capitalize on sobriety. And I'm not looking at it as big business. For me, it was more about spreading the message. So I got those going on. So it's the music, the podcast, the clothing, and then, you know, the the motivational speech work that I do. So I'm just trying to spread the message.
1: Well, that's and And I have to say, what a great message. Sober is dope. I love it. Like, no, <laughs> <Thank> absolutely <you. laughs> love it. Because like, cause like when when we talk sober is dope, we're talking being high on life, you know, Um this is like being sober and and experiencing life. Like there's magic in that. And there's a magic in that that like dope never can touch, right? And so like I totally support that message and love it and, and I think that like sober's dope is a great like message and you're, you're, you're hitting all the bases. So congratulations on that. Oh,
0: thank you so much. You know, Hey, we, we, we have to stay, we stay high on our sobriety, right? I I, I like to ride the wave of my sobriety and our sobriety and being in recovery is so is magical. And
1: so, you know, I'm excited to be here
0: and spread that message. So cool.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I want to get into now. What are some of the big things that you've noticed about yourself since getting sober well
0: you know i I struggled a lot when um prior to getting sober with a lot of things it was um you know bereavement issues with my father it was a lot of fear of loss relationship there
1: how um, old were you when your dad died
0: my I was 13 years old and okay. he was like my absolute superhero and hero and he died right in front of me of a heart attack unfortunately and he was young he was only 52. Um, and so, you know, prior to that, it was like, I was just I was challenged with a lot of things. Like I just, I didn't express it. I felt like it was a bit, a large amount of arrested development and, um, finding my sobriety, I discovered that I was just naturally an extremely sensitive person. Right. I, I just naturally, you know, I, and in retrospect, I realized I didn't really need alcohol or anything. To make me feel whole i naturally had enough inside of me and i remember my mother telling me as a young guy she was like listen i don't think you ever should drink because you have enough energy i think it would be bad for you i think other people can but you should never do it and then i did anyway and it always created problems for me it was actually gross like looking back a lot of the stuff that i was doing to cope just made me feel physically awful you know and i just never needed it so i grew a lot but I also realized I had to deal with, I had to like really address fear, the concepts of fear. And I think a lot of people go through this. I think uh, addiction is a little tied to a lot of fear, anxiety, um, stress, worrying. And I had to find a way to put that in perspective. So, um, you know, and at the time I felt like I was running on a thousand, you know, when I was drinking and stuff, I was always on a thousand. I was ne- I never slowed down. I was never happy, but I was always the light for the party. Um, and I just didn't do any work to really understand myself. I was always just running on, I was just like on speed, or like, you know, metaphorical speed. Like I never had a chance to slow down. So my recovery allowed, gave me a couple of things It helped me to understand that I'm a sensitive, naturally sensitive person and that, you know, um, I had to take a lot of really good care of myself and love myself a lot. It taught me what loving myself meant and self-care it gave me a good big concept of self-care it also made me sensitive to other people's right and how my relationships and my actions affect others so it gave me a large sense of accountability i don't think i had any accountability um or any form of emotional accountability um so you know we have times in you know emotional sobriety and stuff like that and being sober helps me balance a lot of things out um also it's the concept of transformation. You mentioned uh, you know, I'm not the same person. I'm a, I'm a whole different person. So every day it's like a new day. I'm learning everything. There's things that sobriety took away from me and things that sobriety gave me.
1: How would you define yourself before your sobriety? Give me six words. Um, myself before sobriety?
0: Um, Wild, crazy, uh, afraid...
1: Sad and depressed all right um so so, who are you today
0: who am I today um i'm free today, I feel whole today, and I feel complete, even though I have a lot of life to go and a lot of progression. I feel like if I died today, i would have th- I, I, I would have done good and I feel like I made a significant change to transform my story and to leave a legacy. So I feel blessed, lucky. I feel like one of the guys who got out. Um, yeah. and I'm just blessed, man. I, I honestly, I should be dead. And for some reason the universe chose me not to, to live. And I have a hundred friends that didn't make it. That was better people than I was. And I sometime have to deal with that. So who I am today, I'm a very lucky, compassionate, person that's free and willing to do the hard work to live a good life
1: you and me both man i'm Amen. like you know i'm always i'm always talking about like the fact that like, i talk um, about the idea that i'm living on borrowed time you know because because you're right like there was shit that that i really probably shouldn't have made it through you know yes, yes. um and here i am yes. still i'm still here I'm kicking it. I'm, I'm, and I'm doing my work. And, and, and the thing is, is that when I should have died, I kind of wanted to. And now that I can die happy knowing that my life is, it, it, you know, it, it is perfect in, in a, you know, like, you know, like, I don't want to say perfect, but like, I don't have a definition for that word perfect, but yes. like, you know, I'm always learning and, and I'm always doing stuff. So, so, but, but my life is amazing from where I am, you know, and, and I love it and, and I can die happy knowing that that's the case. Now, um, when I could have died using, like those were times that I didn't want to be alive. And, and that's an interesting thing. Cause like. I realize that, you know, like, there was a, a lot had to be learned between then and now. And and I want to ask, like, did you find something within yourself that was worth living for?
0: Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Like, look... Uh... I found, I found, what I found within myself was Godhead. And for people out there who may not believe in God, I, you know, I found the creative source of all things, all life and all creation within me. And I realized making that connection, that was the exact force that I had to call upon to help me in my darkest hour. And it was just very spontaneous. I was just walking one day literally like on my deathbed, just just pre- or, or borderline homeless, had nowhere to go, had no food, had no money, walking down the middle of the street. And right before I was going to pick up a cigarette off the floor, I fell to my knees and I asked God, I said, listen, if you're out there, if you exist, which all my life people tell me you exist, and I prayed and I did all these things, I'm in trouble and I need help. And I literally, and some people, I'm being as genuine as possible, I literally heard a voice say, get up and go, jump the Turnstile, get on the train, go to the hospital in Manhattan, somewhere around 14th Street. That's what I heard. And on 14th Street, it was a Catholic hospital that I went to, and the rest is history. They took me, I could go more into detail, but in the short form, that thing that helped me in the beginning is what I found. And that's the guiding force that keeps me going. Um, and I also found a level, uh, a bottomless pit of just love and mercy and compassion, uh, unending well, I could always go back to and it's just, and I, and I have, and I, now I want to live more than ever. I have a lot to look forward to. I, somewhere in me is my future generations. I don't have kids yet. Um, addiction is going to make me a really old dad because I never could get it together enough to have kids. I'm, I'm 39 years old today. And I have future generations in me that I'm going to make Kings and Queens that there's going to be very strong. Um, I have, I have people that I want to teach and I have a, a propensity to want to live and, and every day I'm growing. So that's, that's something, you know, I found in a peace and it was the worst thing I went from having no peace and being this total dark force and this confused person and this struggling kid to just this peaceful human being. And I, and I found my divinity and, that I mean, that's worth all the money in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, you know, that was, that was, you couldn't have scripted that. So, I want to thank you for that answer because that's it. You know, like trying to, and 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 I want to point out that you had been saying like you found God, but as you continued talking, you said I found it within me. Yeah. Right, and that. You know, I talked to, uh, on my first episode of this, I talked with this guy, Joe, Joe Lawson, who, who, and I don't know if this got edited out or not, but, but he says, if my recovery was going to be about my daughter, God forbid she were to die. because Wow. Mad. You know, wow. like, and that's how he knew that it had to be about him. Right, and he, It had to be about him completely because what's going to keep him sober if it is outside of him? And so for me to hear you say, okay, it's God, great. Where is God? And then you say, it's in me. And that makes me just kind of be like, yes. Like, you're right. You're like, like we're on the same page. And I'm super excited about that. Um, just yeah. because, again, if you put it on anybody, it's got to be you. Because you're the only one that's going to be here. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you were beginning your journey, what were some things that you were reluctant to change or you just thought could never change? You just figured this was you and that would never change.
0: Well, um, you know, when I first, when I first went in, it's a couple of things I didn't believe that I didn't know that could happen. This, this is all part of a, Miraculous process of me looking at life and this mercy and compassion because me, I felt like I was so far gone, and and Martin, I want you to know the premise of sober is open a lot of this. I speak is the deeper psychological aspects of the addict that I like to speak to is in our dark state. We feel like we went so far, we damaged ourselves and the world so much, and we made so much of a mess of this beautiful thing. Call life that there's no coming back. And that tends to push the addict further and further in obscurity. At least it did for me because I I used to be, you know, in the darkness, like, you know what? I think my liver's damaged. My mom's not talking to me no more. I lost the love of my life. They foreclosed on my house. My colleagues don't take me seriously. I can't stop drinking. Lost all this weight have gray hair now, what the hell am I gonna do? And every cell in my body, because I'm an addict, is saying get another bottle, and then that's that vicious cycle. And then when it gets too unmanageable, some people either kill themselves or they just die of sadness or depression or their addiction. So I was at that point, I was at that limit. I, was, I went that far, right? So when I heard that voice that said, well, the first step is to get on the train and go to some hospital and ask for help, it was like at that point I became a spectator in the concept of mercy and how it would play out in my life. I was kind of like somebody told me I could get on this line and somehow come out on the other side. There's no way it's going to happen. I don't believe it, but I'm going to try. And if it happens, I'm going to be in total awe for the rest of my life. And literally, it played out where I literally now could look back in retrospect and say, I, I'm still in the steps. So in my mind, I'm just a couple of days from that train and from that first day at the hospital. I'm not that far removed. People here six years. For me, this is like the sixth day. But God created the world in seven days. This is days like day three or day six for me. It's like it's so. It's, but but it's so frail and beautiful. And I have no desire to even remotely go back. So to answer your question, the first thing that I think is that I that changed changed, and what makes me feel like I have is that I have no desire to ever revisit alcoholism or drink. That was changed in me, and I never thought that could be changed because that was the one thing that I always needed to get by and i and i hate it i don't like it and i have no desire which makes me different from a large amount of my peer group in sobriety because i have friends who have 6 years with me but that's like damn i got to go to this meeting today because i need a drink and i'm like damn we got to do more work because i can't even relate to that now like it's so un- it's crazy it's like it's a small subset of us that's like we're totally just the like i just got turned off from that which is a blessing so it's this miraculous kind of like the movie that's playing out where i'm the recipient of all this mercy and transformation and it's just crazy like i never thought i would get from this point to this point and now that i'm here i'm just kind of like this new person with these with this lease on life that the universe and life gave me and my willingness to change has given me um and i you know You know, life has its struggles and everything, and life has its ups and downs. But for now, on baseline, I'm kind of okay. Like, I have things that I'm aspiring to, you know, um, things that I want. But for the most part, I'm really good, man. And there's nothing I can really say that's so, I mean, it's really cookie cutter with me. Like, it's like this kid is like, yeah, and it's straightforward. So,
1: um, yeah, you know, that's a transformation. And in talking with you, like, I've, 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 you know, I've heard that, you know, like this idea that, like, you don't, You're not going back, you know, like there's no, it's not, it's there. You've created in six and a half years, a life that it does not fit at all. And I have to say, like, that is impressive. I mean, I've talked to people with like, like my last interview uh, that I did, woman had 19 years, that 19 years, she said, it took me 12 to get to that place of thinking clearly where I was like, Oh, you know, and so, so you are blessed, you know, like you are blessed with this. Now, now, failure is still around the corner, right? Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, right. Like that's right. always, and so, and, 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 and I want to talk about that. What sort of struggles, like, where does your, if you have this, I don't know, um, it, do you have like addictive thoughts? Well, the good thing
0: is, I love this question because one thing about the podcast is that I try to like check. The whole world, because I be want. I want to let humanity know. Like first of all, fundamentally, every person most likely have some form of addiction. So damn right. (laughs) When we talk about, and I have an episode that you know you guys can check on the Sober Throw Podcast called Types of Addiction. But the first thing that I point out is that we all have to detox from something or if it's a metaphorical detox, we have substance addiction. So in my case, I was, a, I'm an alcoholic, so I'm dealing with substance. Or if you're a drug addict dealing with substance, but then you have something called process or behavior addictions, mm-hmm. right? Again, gambling addiction, sex addiction, food addiction, um, shopping, uh, work, work addiction. So, Everyone is dealing with some form of addiction or some form of compulsive behavior, but they, you know, we just don't always identify it. So for very good question, by the way, and I think we all have the sober the sobrieties in co- in common. So I try to broaden the subject matter because most people try to, you know, you got to have a guy who's in $2 million of gambling debt, be like, kudos to you sober guys over there. And I'm like, yo, you're an addict also. You need the same steps. You need the same help we, we're we getting. So you can't look at us and say, it's, no, it's not apples and oranges. Addiction is addiction, right? So yep. for me, the first thing is I, I, I became addicted to like, I just had no education on necessarily diet nutrition and food so I started eating everything that I wanted because when rehab you know we have this process where you know you got the cigarettes, you have the coffee, you have your sweets and then you're eating and a lot of that we need in the beginning to kind of cope right? because the dopamine pathways in our brain is burnt out from alcoholism, and then we replace those pathways with other addictions like sugar. sugar. Comfort, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sugar. But sugar is a molecule away from crack cocaine, so it's just as addictive. Right? (laughs) So it's just as addictive. So we have to check that. So I became pre-diabetic, So then that made me become like a mini little expert on health and nutrition and sugar, and I had to reverse my pre-diabetes. So on Instagram, it will say, you know, pop overcame um, alcoholism and reversed pre-diabetes and now devotes his life to saving others because I realized there's compounded issues in being alive. So for me, it was food and sugar, so I had to deal with that. Now it's like, um, I addiction like I am like I think the dopamine hits we get from our little pings on our phone is just plaguing everyone. It's a whole new problem with the cell phones and the social media. They say every time you hear a ding or a message on your phone, it sends a little sharp spike in dopamine, which is a little hit. It's a micro little yeah. hit everyone gets. And that's what draws the attention people. They say the attention um, I wouldn't call them attention horse, but you know what I mean. The people who just need this true drive So for me, I try to watch that. I try to put social media in its place because even now my sleep patterns was totally destroyed because it's like, okay, I have to hit Instagram and I have to do this poll. Next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. I have to be to bed by 11 and then it creates a problem the next day, right? So it's like all of these little things, but I know this, this is where I wanna leave. I know for certain a lot of these addictions can't they have to be monitored because god forbid they lead you down a path to get to the monster addiction so for me the demon monster of alcoholism shall not ever wear his ugly head in my life again but if i'm not mindful of other things they they can kind of do things that can shift me off you know like for example smoking i I quit smoking cigarettes right because cigarettes is an actual absolute driver to alcoholism like if I have a drink I'm gonna need to smoke so mm-hmm. but if I'm smoking it's still gonna be like this big part of my drinking so I got rid of that then I started saying you know what if I could have a little bit of pot right oh uh, you know that never was a problem for me and then I realized but wait a minute what if that hits the same pathway what if that causes you to go right back so that I have to say I have to be very careful with everything and find a peaceful balance and that yep. got me into meditation. That got me into, because the, the levels of high and peace and tranquility and reduction anxiety you get from meditation could deal with a hundred issues that we will probably be using, uh, uh substances, to address right so i got into meditation and i got into exercise and then health and nutrition and deep breathing exercise and something called energy medicine and positive thought reinforcements and mm-hmm. all of these things so i'm like hey we have way more tools to be on the positive than we have on a negative like if it's the negative it's like alcohol and drugs and like uh b- abusive sex practices and all of this stuff that's the like that's the, like three to four things you could do on a negative But then you have a plethora of these things you can do on the positive to stay in a balanced state. And I started to look into that to help me. So, yes, I do have addictions. I have addictions to food. I have addictions to, you know, um, I have to be careful not to use my sobriety as another addiction. Like running around, oh, me, I'm sober type thing. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I'm high and mighty and I'm the man. And look at me because, like, hey, like, I try to find, I try to eat a big slice of humble pie every day. And remind myself, and my girlfriend helps me a lot because some days I'm hard on her because, like, she may still she still smoke. So sometimes, and I'm like, I just want you to be healthy. She's like, Yeah, but you used to smoke two packs a day, and you found your own process. So don't bother me. And I'm like, All right, you just fair enough. Like I, but you know, you know, can't say I didn't try. (laughs) and, And then we find a balance, and then she'll come back and say, I know you love me, and you're trying to help. I just want you to be more mindful that you know somehow miraculously you found your way and i'm still looking for mine and it's not as easy and maybe you can't help me maybe i'm at the front and i have to realize everyone has to be ready on their own terms right Mm -hmm. and it's never gonna work you never seen a case study i certainly in my own life as being my own case subject i never seen a case study where it's like a person got it together because they wanted to do it for the world and that that drives people crazy like you have to just be ready and AA has some of the greatest one-liners. I love them for that. Like, sick and tired of sick and tired to me, I think, is on a Ph.D. scholarly level of just, <laughs> of just getting, like, putting something together. That's a whole core. That's a whole degree that you could break down and elaborate on sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that's where the buck stops for me. But obviously, I do have addictions, and I'm fighting most of them. I changed my diet to get rid of my sugar addiction, and I'm just being mindful for other things.
1: Yeah, and and just that awareness, right? Like, you step away from sugar for four or five days. You start to see yourself in a different way. Yes. You know? And then, when you have sugar, because you're gonna, it's everywhere. Yes, yes. You start to realize that, oh, I don't feel so good. I'm kind of degrading myself I'm not being nice to myself I'm not being nice to my the people around me and it's like once you start to get some distance from those things that you're that that you know we have addictions to you know like like we all know that sugar is addictive but nobody's joking around saying I got a sugar addiction because they really do (laughs) <laughs> you know? Right, right, like, right. Like, every, like, I get frustrated when I'm, when I see ads that are like, this game is addictive, or this is, like, you're going to get addicted. Like, like, who would, who would agree to do that then? <laughs> like, like, correct. who, like, correct. what is the world coming to that being addicted to something is, is advertisable?
0: Correct, like, correct. It's uh, such should a. Be. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that a lot of those part of the sober dope movement and I'm sure your movement is we trying to like, try to make it somewhat digestible to the youngest kids and to the next generation. Because I think I think about it from, I, my first experience with drinking was at a family party and it was just, it was just like any other family party. It's like no one ever has the conversations with the children that drinking is bad is more or less it's implied like don't do that Our parents say don't do that but it was just there one day and i remember it was just i don't know what compelled me to do it i think i just was a curious kid i think i was about 15 and no i was about 13 no 14 I was about 14 15 and i remember it was just a budweiser can just a half um a half full budweiser can on a table and I drank it and I literally, my mind exploded and then I didn't know what the hell was driving me. I had all of this energy. And as a 15 year old kid, it was crazy. I was able to talk to all the girls in the party and everyone was like, Hey, what's going on with Poppy? He He's running around. I had another bit, I had another bit and I woke up the next day and there was no conversation or follow up. It was just like, Oh my God, Poppy drank some tea drink and it was bad. And but for me, if that happened to my kid, knowing what I know now, it would have been a shutdown on the whole house for a whole month, full-blown talking and counseling, a full explanation to the kid on why alcohol is bad, why he can't drink. No alcohol would have ever been allowed. And I'm not blaming my family. I'm just saying, in retrospect, society, all right, is just like. And this is this is me looking at right. Like you talk about how how are things different from the. Now looking back in retrospect, I'm just like too many people's loose with everything. They're loose with alcohol. They're legalizing marijuana, and. The victims, the future victims of all that is freedom to just do what people want, is the kids who don't know all of the kids. They're young. They're six. They eight. They 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 twelve. They thirteen. They're on their phones. They don't know any different. But what's gonna happen is you and I are gonna be counseling and dealing with these kids five or ten years from now because of how lax everything is. This whole you know now you got this, the the marijuana pens you could buy in the store. You got the CBD pens, which is like. Uh, introduction to marijuana. It's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't have the same effects, but it's from the same cannabinoid. So I'm like, okay, so if I smoke this, then what's going to stop me from wanting to smoke some pot? And then what's going to happen when I just – then now I compound that with alcohol. So now you have kids who's going to legally be able to just smoke weed all day and drink, and then let's see how that's going to play out when you have an opioid crisis, right? So what the hell is going on with our society? What's the next (laughs) 20 years going to look like? and everyone thinks it's a joke but we're on the front line that's saying in our own experience these are the darkest things we ever had to fight and get out of and we made it on the other side but there's people who's not going to make it there's kids who's not, who, had, who didn't make it there's kids every day that's dying you know thank god the um, people in Minnesota um are suing the um oh yeah the, i heard about the that. companies yeah um for uh, the opioid crisis and the Sackley family and all of that and i mean to see stuff like that is accountability has to be across the board. So, you know, um, it's just, yeah, addiction is addiction. You all struggle with it. And I think that education goes a long way. That's all. We're not telling people you can't have fun, but you have to put the disclaimers out there and it has to be clear. I think it should be clear. Like, you know, but guess what the good news is, Martin, we have a new uh, uh, resurgence of a a whole new concept that's trending. Um, I just did a podcast about this the sober curious movement oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah you heard about that oh and, yeah um, they got absolutely. the new book out and things like that is cool because now i think people are just getting sick and tired before they even get to rock bottom they're like i don't think you know getting drunk every day is going to be a good idea if i want to move to the next level in my life um and that's cool and you have actors like bradley um bradley bill who says uh, no bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper was cool. He said, like, I didn't get sober and stuff just because I was having an issue. I just knew I wanted to be here in my life, and I couldn't get there if I was drinking and drugging. So I just stopped because I wanted to be at this level. And then when he stopped, he became this awesome actor. You know, and guys like Robert Downey Jr., I always tell people when I first got into um, rehab, I used to say I love Robert Downey Jr. because he stopped drinking and doing drugs and he became Iron Man. And it was like a cool metaphor was clear. In my mind, he was the real Tony Stark. His sobriety made him Tony Stark. And then he became Iron Man and it was something that gave me hope. So there's hope out there and there's enough of us with influence that's on the front line. So I think that would create a balance and that's exciting.
1: Absolutely, um, I want to bring this back to you a bit. Um, uh, let me see. Oh, in terms of like, 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 you're super self-aware, right? You're aware of like what's going on in your life. You're aware of like what comes day in and day out and stuff. Where, um, what took place? Like, were there incidents that took place in your life that made you start to realize you were becoming a different person like were there like things that you know like if they happen every day you'd have the same reaction and then all of a sudden one day like your reaction changed you calmed down like you were you and then you're like oh wait i'm a different person now
0: Yeah, you know what, Um, for me, I'm going to just give you the biggest example I can give you in that realm is relationships, relationships, right? Like, what literally drove me to be like a monumental alcoholic, like a really gifted Professor Xavier-level alcoholic, if it was a scale, I was like the dark phoenix. So my thing was like, it was like love and relationships and how I responded to loss and rejection. Right. It's like, like one of my friends said it the best. He said he can't stand rejection. It's like lethal injection. So some people mentally snap when they hear no, or someone rejects them or tell them they're not. And I, and I'm really not good with taking too much constructive criticism. I have to work on that. I'll be honest. Like I'm really like, you know, I have to kind of really eat a slice of humble pie, sit down and say, okay, this person's trying to tell me about me and trying to school me on me. And I got to listen uh and I had to grow up and be able to take constructive criticism because I know I don't know everything. And I know I have the perspective is everything. But for me now, I always say, and I always say like, if I have issues with my girlfriend and like for some reason the subject comes up of separation, my response now would be like, you know what? I love you. Whatever we got to whatever, you know, will make you happy. I understand. I just don't want to waste each other time. I think it's about honesty and you know, I'm, and, I, you know, and this is the love of my life, and I'm that calm. Now, the old me literally would have, like, drank five bottles of scotch, cried for three days, didn't wouldn't bathe, grow grew a beard, binge-watch movies, listen to Mad World ten minutes a million times, and put on some Moby, and waddle in my distress, and then go crazy and lose weight. And people's like, oh, my God, all of this over a girl? So therefore I had issues with separation. I had separation anxiety. I think that I was tied to bereavement and to the disappointment of losing my dad. And now uh, my response to these type of, you know, separation, bereavement, um, rejection, it's kind of like, all right, this happens in life. How do we move forward? I have to be very logical about it. I have to deal with it. It'll be hurtful in the beginning, but maybe better in the long run. Let me take some deep breaths and go catch a movie. So, you see, something obviously changed. And I think one of the biggest responses we have in life is our response to love and relationships. And now I don't have to run a drink to deal with these things. I could just kind of be like, well, it is what it is. I'm not going to let it stress me to the point where I consider relapsing. And nothing's more important than that. So, I think I love sobriety more than my even relationships because it makes me, you know, this is something that I achieve with the help of God and God within me and God's mercy. That's what I think. That's what I perceive it to be, right? And that relationship is the most important relationship of all, my relationship with myself and how I treat myself. So I look at it like nothing, no one is important enough to make me shift my inner sanctum because that was the problem before. My identity was in my relationship or the girlfriend then. My business and my real estate empire, and me being a young guy in my duplex apartment, and, and and having and being a music guy, my identity was all in these external things, and it should have been more intrinsic. And now it's like, nah, it's just about me. I'm not, nah, I have to love and take care of myself. There's always gonna be another girl, it's always gonna be another job, it's always gonna be another career, it's always gonna be another thing, but it's never gonna be another Joseph Buchanan, right? So that so that has to be unshakable. And that's the relationship I have to start to work on. And that's why I think, it's a, and it's going to be some, you have to be selfish. I tell these people, like, look, you could be compassionate, giving, and selfless. And you better add a big dope of selfish in there, too. Because selfish is also being self-loving and self-care. Because if you have to love yourself. And I did not. When I was smoking, and you know what was crazy? I remember drinking and smoking and being almost like, burnt to the ground, and my ex-girlfriend would get dressed to a T, walk right past me while I was laying on that floor, go out, have a blast, come back home at 4 o'clock in the morning, go to sleep, wake up, and do it the next day. Then eventually she just said, I'm done with you. Then eventually just moved on and just had her whole new life. Now, we're good friends today, but I'm saying this to say, she was the greatest metaphor of the world. You yeah. could be sitting and the world's going to keep moving, baby. They're like, all right, well, figure it out. Look at a That's homeless right. person. It's the best metaphor for, for addiction. It's like a person is sitting there with nothing and a cup in their hand, wearing their, their bad decisions and their, their, their life and their darkness all over them, crying for help, and 90% of the people is going to walk right past them. No care in the world. 90% and, and when I was almost there, I was pretty much there, but I didn't go that far. Thank God I had so much work my family did. I mean, I come from a great family. My brother was a priest. Um, my I, I have a college degree. I had, you know, I, I had enough going on where I was like, okay, so the buck's going to start with me paying in. If I can't afford it, you know. I'm not picking up the cigarette off the floor. That's when I found, I found God when I had to pick up a cigarette off the floor. I was like, enough is enough. Like, I don't know what part of the game is this, but addiction is no longer fun and <laughs> it's not funny. Like, it can't, yeah. you know. But for the people who didn't have that, there's people that we have to have mercy for that didn't have as much as we may have had. So they went all the way to the bottom. Those demons dragged them all the way through their own excrement of feces sitting on the middle of the street for days at a time and no one wants to come near him and that's a reality that we have to understand and that's when I realized life has to go on and you have to love yourself enough to not let the darkness overcome you because there's no end game, there's only two end games death, death, jail or abject poverty and homelessness and and, that's just
1: death, that's just death it's all death
0: you know, addiction, a death, right? addiction,
1: addiction just leads you to death, you know, like, yes. and that's the thing. Addictive, addictive things only go one direction, right? Correct. Like, which Correct. is, which is, there's a lot involved in all this, but, but the reality is I don't partake in drugs and alcohol anymore or even like caffeinated coffee very often, you know, like, because yes. I know that there's only one direction, you know, yes. like, y- yeah, you could, you could manage one drink a day. Or one uh, joint. But, you know, ultimately, it has a goal to be ingested. And your body, part of your body, wants that too. You know? Like, there are demons that are like, you know what? This is easier. It's easier to feel comfortable. And if you're deciding... That you're going to engage in something that you know is addictive, whether that's sugar, whether that's tobacco, whether that's being angry. Because I believe that, you know, emotions are an addictive chemical that we can can engage with, you know. And if you're going to engage in those things, they only go one direction. Unless or until you decide enough is enough you know, correct, and, correct, and, correct. and, and that's where so much of this exists. And, and you know, like you had a story about your early sobriety that really woke you up. Can you talk about that real briefly?
0: Oh yeah. This is like, man, this, this, this incident and this, um, encounter was one of the most disheartening encounters. I of my whole entire life. And, because when years before I even had an issue with addiction, when I was still fairly a normal kid, because my darkness came within the latter two or three years of um, my process, and before then I was had some normality. So I'm just a regular kid out of college. I used to see this gentleman on the train in New York City, and he used to be handing out flyers. Of um, for Alcohol Anonymous and talking about if anyone needs help, and he was like the captain and champion of AA and sobriety, right? Um, and he'd he always say yes, twenty plus, thirty years plus, or whatever. I don't know exactly, but it was a, It was upward of twenty-five years, I should say. So fast forwarding to about five years after that. I, over the years I kept seeing this gentleman. And then, um, one day I saw him in one of our, me, he came to one of our meetings when I was in the hospital or whatever. Or blah, blah, blah. Now I get out of rehab, I get out of detox and I'm going into my outpatient. I'm in my outpatients three months in my outpatient. I'm working as an intern with an accounting firm. You know, that's part of my sobriety, giving me my life back. And, you know, I got back into my business and my real estate and the accounting world and stuff. And, you know, in our office building, um, you know, you have, like, the the lobby area. Where we're on a second level, and I'm on the second level, and I hear words commotion in the lobby. So I'm like, you know, let me go downstairs in the lobby, and I see a couple of the receptionists trying to ask this gentleman, can he leave the um, lobby area? And I just see like this older man sitting in a chair and he's just like F this, F that and he seemed very upset. And I'm like, Hold on, hold on. Guys, let me let me try to talk to this guy. And literally when I walked up to him, it was the 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 champion for AA, one of the most senior guys. And he was sitting there with a beer. and I literally my heart dropped. And I just literally walked up to him. I told everybody, please get away from this man. This man is an a he's a, a upstanding person. No one just get get away from him. Don't call the police. Don't i handle everything, right? So I walk up to him and I go, "Hey buddy, hey buddy, what happened? Do you remember me?" He was like, "No, I don't remember you, young fella." And you know, I got tears in my eyes and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I said, "I know you. You you're the guy from AA." I said, I'm sober now. You help me. You used to always talk to me. He said, "Young man, how many, how many, how much time do you have? And I said, you know, I'm about three or four months sober. And he said, oh, I got over 30 years, kid. And you got more time than me. And he just put his head down. I was like, no, no, no. I said, you don't have to start over. You got all your years. We, what can I do? And he said, can you just help me go outside, man? Just help me get outside. And I walked him outside. He had a bear. He had a big bear in his hand. And it's a public, this is an accounting firm. I don't even know how he got in there. He probably just needed to sit down and walk in off the street. And he just was like, you know, he just wanted to be left alone. He didn't want me to touch him or anything. He just was like, just get me outside. And when he got outside, he started running after women and stuff. And then I just quit. And I just was like, you know, it was, you know, I was limited at that point. I was still at work. But that just, that, just there was why I understood the work has to be done with 12 step it has to be done spiritually it has to be done physically it has to be done psychologically it has to be done emotionally it has to be done on many different levels a person should never stop mastering or learning how to find their wholeness and completeness and you know and then the thing about this person he was just, that probably was his only outlet. Now, I'm not blaming AA because it got him the 30 years, but I don't know what could have been his trigger to take that drink, and it looked like he lost everything within a moment. And he was just so broken, and I knew very well there's, there's nothing I could do besides him finding that process all over again within himself. That's why I had to have the maturity to let him go. That was me letting me know that I was learning. I said there's nothing we could do. He's going to have to play it all out. He's going to mm-hmm. run after the ladies, he's going to have to collapse, he's going to have to fall. He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to go through it. Now maybe his process could have been short lived. He had so many years. But that was really remarkable to see that none of us are safe from the demons of addiction, right? You got to have 90 years and then have that one uh, I mean they even still, this is a story I think in a big book about I, think, I don't know if it was the traveling salesman or the guy who had, he, he had many years and then he decided to drink in his older years and he was already successful and then he lost everything and died. And, you know, these are the stories you hear. So, you know, and and one thing I never try to do and a lot of people I hear this, they try to say, well, you know, as if they could get to a point of retirement where the world is kind of like where they're free and they, cause they're old, they could drink and, then they, you know, they paid their dues, you know, like, I put 50 years in, now I'm retired, I'm gonna go have me a drink, and then you see the same old guys right back at Square One in AA, like, no, this drinking stuff is no joke, right, that stuff is never gonna change, you know, I had a few people who I think are, like, really terrible, who try to, like, I had one lady try to give me this whole speech on how, and I certain medications now that they have where I can drink and it does it. and then it seems like I think you should have the freedom to drink. You seem like a nice guy I was like lady, get away from me, please, like get all the way away I'll make from
1: my me. own decisions. Thank you very yeah, much. <laughs> it,
0: it, it was it, yeah, it wasn't even it was just the the level of it. It was like, come on, man, you're telling someone who's telling you they got six years of sobriety that there's a way
1: they can drink like just get away from me and, and and people. and she's telling you, hey, there's a drug you can take so you can drink
0: yeah so I like, yeah okay, you like
1: you want I, me to double up? I'm sorry, son <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, so my I thing just, is, yeah. yeah, I just had a conversation with someone the other day where um she had fourteen years yeah. um and uh and, and she used to grin and bear all of her pain, and she had a lot of pain problems and stuff, and then all of a sudden she started flirting with uh pain meds and then she got you know she got opiates and then within six years she was right back to square one just you know so now she's got like a year and a half um wow. but um go for her
0: go for hug yeah no absolutely
1: yeah. but but you know like we had this conversation of why did you do it and she said well i achieved everything i wanted to achieve So one of the things that I've noticed about us addicts is that we're novelty seekers, right? We are looking, we're looking to do something that is interesting, right? Like, and, and so it's often many times when, when many people get sober, they're like, well, these are the things that I'm going to do now that I'm sober. They quickly find like, like, you know, like, this is why I talked to you about like, well, What's your work, and how does that relate to everything? Because when, when once you achieve your shit, like, what then? Yeah, you know, do you have more goals, or have you achieved it? Have you have you reached a pinnacle within twelve years, and now you're like in retirement, like you mentioned? You're like, oh, I can I can have a drink because because now you're not staying sober for anything this once again is about you know like this is why you're the reason for getting sober and not Correct. something because Correct. once you achieve that thing or once you lose that thing or once that thing leaves or whatever you're on your own
0: well you know and i agree and there's one thing i want to leave with the community is that the number one thing I think that we have to put in perspective is sobriety and its relationship to boredom and just being addicts and dealing with boredom and just, um, and like you said, novelty and, what I think is the antidote is creativity. I think yep. that if you just constantly do a deep dive with yourself on or your creative corner now, we can use our seeking of novelty and new experiences and that new buzz and that new thing. But that could be useful. It could be useful in creating oh, yeah. a new business, a company. And so for me, I get into a lot of things and, I, and I'll go gun hole. I swear I go gun hole for the first two months Then after it has zero interest. Like I'll wake up one day and be like, and to me, that's just an indication that that aspect of it wasn't part of my passion or creative calling, but I right. had to go through it. So it's putting things in your life and perspectives and activities and things, but also dealing with the, 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 the goal of boredom. What I call the weekend effect is when, you know, everyone's going out and partying and clubbing, mm-hmm. um, they have a lot of sober places. So, so, I just read a new CNN article. I'll send it to you. And this article gave me a lot of hope where they had these really interesting sober cafes going up. And I'm, I'm from New York and Brooklyn. And they have these new sober cafes coming up where they have all of these amazing mocktails and stuff that you could get. And it's an environment for people who don't drink that could go and it's really cool, hang out. And this is not necessarily geared towards the addiction community. It's more or less that there's a greater amount of millennials and people in society now that are naturally seeking an alternative lifestyle from addiction, uh, alcohol or drugs to feel like they're partying. And they're more of the Sober Curious group. And that just gives me hope because now finally sobriety is a trending topic, you know, so, you know. Um, Be careful of the people that try to do the bait and switch. switch You hear a lot of horror stories of these addiction networks And people try to get people in before they're ready And try to get just for insurance money and stuff Which I think is lousy Because what you do is you throw somebody through a whole process to make money Then they come out and relapse anyway Because they never was ready to begin with But the overall consensus is that now society is getting more ready And that the environment is going to be more suitable for us to have the conversations um, so we're going to keep, you know, I'm excited that I'm on the front line of the conversation with sobriety. Sobriety is dope. You know, um, Martin, you know, um, I, I really thank you for having me on your podcast and I'm, well, nice I'm, I'm, you. I'm
1: honored. I'm honored to have you as well. Cause like you got a lot to say and I, and, and I'm glad that we can, uh, we can join forces and, and, you know, cause sober is dope, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm so glad that Pop had a chance to sit down and talk with us this week, because it is true. Sober is dope, and I am super excited about all that he's doing, and I encourage everybody to check out the Sober is Dope podcast, uh, his clothing line, and everything else that he's up to. Once again, I'm Martin John, and this is the Recover Yourself podcast, where we're talking with people with long-term recovery, because it looks very different once you have uh, some considerable time under your belt and and pops myself and the other people that i that i interview are are a testament to that so i encourage everybody that's out there being sober sober curious in recovery getting clean however you want to put it whatever you're doing i encourage you to keep doing it and keep getting healthy keep clearing your mind keep seeing yourself because we need you Please leave comments, reviews, um, and anything that uh, you feel like you want to leave. If you have some time in your recovery, contact me. I would love to have a conversation with you. uh, Just because we can all share our stories and we can all uh, enjoy uh, what it looks like on the other side. Until next time, keep recovering yourself.